Welcome to another great week here on Brit David Podcast. Today, we continue our walk through the book of Luke as Pastor Tim shares a message from Luke chapter 7, 11 through 16, entitled, Faith in the Face of the Impossible. Paul said that we are to live by faith and not by sight. When you face a seemingly impossible situation, that is much easier to say than to do. But there is a sharp contrast, or should be, between a natural man and a spiritual man. As spiritual men and women, we face even the impossible with faith. Here's Pastor Tim. So in Luke chapter number 7 is where we are today. Hope you have your Bible. You go ahead and turn there with me. Luke chapter 7. We're right, right on the heels of where we were last week. In fact, as we get into this passage today, you're going to see that it's the very next day. It's a new day. It's a new town. <laughs> it's a new crowd. There's everything seems to be new, and yet the expectation is that of real, genuine faith. We've been talking last week and this week, really trying to see Jesus' examples of what Paul writes about when he says that we are to walk by faith and not by sight. Not just simply to see the circumstances that are around you and know that you are somehow its servant, but yet you are the servant of the one true living God who holds all those circumstances within his hand. In fact, is the very one who orchestrates those circumstances in which you live. So if you're there, Luke chapter number 7, we're going to pick up in verse number 11. The Bible says, now it happened the day after that Jesus went into a city called Nain, and many of his disciples went with him and a large crowd. And when he came near the gate of the city, behold, a dead man was being carried out, the only son of his mother, and she was a widow, and a large crowd from the city was with her. When the Lord saw her, he had compassion on her and said to her, Do not weep. Then he came and touched the open coffin, and those who carried him stood still. And he said, Young man, I say to you, arise. And he who was dead sat up and began to speak, and he presented him to his mother. Then fear came upon all, and they glorified God, saying, A great prophet has risen up among us, and... God has visited His people. That very last statement, that's really the prayer that we have for today. We want God to visit His people. We want Him to show up in His manifest presence. We want to be able to see His manifest glory. We want to know that we know that today we have been in the very presence of the one true living God. How do you know that one of these days, like we were just thinking about, how do you know that one of these days you're going to enter into the throne room and bow before Him? <laughs> because that's what you're doing now. We enter into His presence now. We bow before Him now. Because He is indeed the one true living God. He is, Jesus is, the infinite God-man. And it takes faith, doesn't it? takes faith to live through this life. Sometimes you'll hear somebody say, I don't know how anybody makes it without the Lord. Well, you know, don't, don't find out. <laughs> I, mean, I want to know the Lord and I want to stay close to the Lord. I want to live my life by faith, trusting Him every step of the way. Sometimes it's more difficult than it is other times, isn't it? 
we said that this was really on the heels of last week. You know, last week we were talking about faith in the face of the improbable. You know, here is, here is a man who is on his deathbed. He's sick and he's dying and he has no hope except for Jesus. It's improbable. And yet the centurion believed. We come to this section today, <laughs> it's not improbable. I mean, it's, it, for, it's impossible. He's not on his deathbed. The bed's gone. He's on death. I mean, he, he is dead, dead. What else is there to do? And yet for Jesus, it always seems like there's something for him to do. In fact, somebody said if, uh, if Jesus comes to a, to a good funeral, he's just going to mess it up. <laughs> so, I, so invite him to mine, right? You know, when people say, I wonder what preacher's going to say at my funeral. I want him to say, look, he's moving. <laughs> Listen, okay, I'm getting way off subject. Let's get back to our passage today. So when Paul writes and talks about faith, he talks about us living by faith and not by sight, right? But he also mentions that there are three kinds of people in the world. He talks about those who are described as the natural man. The natural man is simply the person who's never been born again. They don't have saving faith. I mean, maybe they go to church, maybe they don't. That's not really the issue. They do not have saving faith. They're not born again. They don't belong to the Lord. Then there's a group of people that he calls the spiritual man. The spiritual man is the one who's been born again. This is the person who knows God. This is the person who trusts God. This is the person who walks with God. This is the person who does indeed walk by faith and not by sight. Now, the third kind of person is really, to me, it's really one of the worst of all. He's called the carnal man. The carnal man is simply the spiritual man who's acting like the natural man. He's a person who has been born again, who believes in Jesus, who's given his life to him, but for whatever reason, backsliding, hypocrisy, uh, concessions, whatever it is, they've begun to trust in themselves. Or they trust in other people, or they trust in their resources, or they, they trust in anything, sometimes everything except for the Lord. It's a miserable person, a person who knows the Lord but yet lives as if he's not there. If the natural man and the spiritual man come upon this passage in Luke chapter number 7, I would tell you that they would view this passage very differently. They would look at it differently. They look at it with very different eyes. I mean, one of them is looking at it simply by what they see in the physical. The other's looking at it from God's perspective, what God can do in the spiritual. So I want us to look at that today and, 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 and learn a few things about this faith that it takes to live in this life. So let me give you these three statements. Number one, I want you to see today that faith recognizes God's passion. Recognizes God's passion. In other words, faith is always directed in the same place that God's love is directed. The things that matter to him, the things that are important to him. You know, what, what are those things? You know, we, we know John 3.16, right? For God so loved the world. But he's not talking about the earth, is he? He's not talking about planet earth. He's not about trees and rocks and dogs. He's certainly not dogs or cats. You know, he, he didn't love those. I mean, that's not where his passion is. 
Where is his passion? His passion is on people. His passion is on you. So if you are then a spiritual man, a spiritual woman, a spiritual boy, a spiritual girl, then your faith is going to be directed as well towards those things that God loves. The things that God loves, you will love. The people that God loves, then you will love. It's always going to be driven that same direction. God's will and faith are always going to be, or should always be, on parallel tracks. Never deviating toward what you want. Never deviating off to what your agenda is. You're simply trying to stay focused on who God is and on what God's will is. So it recognizes God's passion. It's feelings that get stirred up. In fact, there's a couple of different kinds of feelings that come into this passage depending on who you are. Now those first couple of verses that we read, verses 11 and 12, really just kind of set the scene for us, don't they? They tell us where it is. They tell us when it is. They tell us who's there. You know, Jesus is there. His disciples are there. A great crowd has followed them from the day before. But then when they get there, they find another big old crowd, don't they? I mean, this funeral procession's going on. So it's being led by this group of men probably carrying a, a casket. It says an open coffin, an open casket. As they carry this down the road, there are people that are flocking behind them as we would consider a funeral procession today. Mom's going to be right there, probably in the front. If she has any relatives, they're probably right there, very close behind her. Friends, if she has any of those, they're right up there as well. Then it says, though, that there's a large crowd. In all likelihood, this is a part of their culture of their day where people would come together, some paid to do so, some not so much, but simply to be mourners. You ever been to a funeral where nobody comes? Man, those are sad, aren't they? You know, they don't want that. You don't want that either. I mean, I I at least want somebody, please, somebody show up for my funeral. You know, if nobody comes, it is extra sad. So now they've got all of this large crowd that's coming there as well. When the Bible talks about a large crowd, it typically is talking about a group of people who don't believe. Okay? We're talking about a whole crowd of natural men And you've got those disciples that are there. They're looking at this story very differently. In fact, let's pick it up in verse 13. There's a distinction that's made right there. Look, the Bible says, When the Lord saw her, who is the her? The her is the mother of the son. This is the woman who the Bible says also is a widow, which means no husband, no son, no immediate family, means no means of support. Maybe means no home. Maybe means no meals. Maybe means, and probably means, no job. No possessions. No land. No earnings. And this is a woman who's, I mean, the caption under her picture is desperate. You know? This is a desperate, desperate woman. When Jesus saw her, the Bible says he had compassion on her. And then said to her, listen to this, Do not weep. Now, the crowd, the natural man that's watching this, what the natural man sees? He sees cruelty in those words. I mean, what what is a worse thing that Jesus or anybody can say to the mother of a dead son? An only son. I mean, it's not supposed to be that way anyway, right? That's what we say. Parents are not supposed to bear their children. 
So, she, so here she is in this situation that has her desperate and has her emotionally absolutely distraught. And Jesus has the gall to tell her, do not weep. Man, if anybody in the whole world on that day has reason to weep, it's this mama, right? And yet Jesus tells her, don't weep. Don't cry. The natural man looks at that and says, what is he doing? Why, why would he tell that mama to bottle up her feelings? Why, why, would Jesus, why would Jesus stop this funeral procession in order to reprimand a woman who's just doing what comes natural? That is not fair. It's cruel. That's what it is. How is she exposed? I mean, how is she supposed to express her grief? If not by weeping. That's all they see, isn't it? They don't know the Lord. They don't, they don't really know that there's even anything beyond this life. So if this is it, then their thought is just, just let her do what she does. Don't be cruel to her. It's not cruelty though, is it? It's not what the spiritual man sees. Spiritual man that's there that day, the spiritual man that reads through this passage, comes to verse number 13, and he doesn't see cruelty, he sees compassion. Almost the exact opposite of what the natural man sees. And it's spelled out for us in verse number 13. When the Lord saw her, He had compassion on her. If you're reading from an NIV, I think your NIV says... His heart went out to her. He hurt for her. He was broken hearted because she is broken hearted. It reminds me of Jesus going to Lazarus' funeral. I mean, yet another funeral that he messes up. But he goes to Lazarus' funeral. Mary comes out and she is weeping. She's broken hearted. She hardly has any words except for, Lord, if you'd been here, my brother would not have died. You remember what Jesus said to her? Nothing. The Bible says he wept. He wept with her. He weeps when you weep. He laughs when you laugh. He rejoices when you rejoice. He's brokenhearted over the things that break your heart. That's how we within the church body, we within the church family are supposed to operate because we're connected with Him. It's not only that we are drawn into His passions, we're also drawn to the passions of others. So that when others within my church family hurt, I hurt. When the others within my church family are rejoicing, I want to rejoice with them. Because we're in it together. You can't have real compassion without understanding that you are in it together with that person. We're in it. Natural man, spiritual man sees God's passion differently. A natural man looks and says, why would, why would God send anybody to hell? Why would, a, why would a loving God, if He exists, why would He send anybody to hell? You and I already know the answer, don't we? Everybody deserves to go to hell. It's not that He's sending them there, I send myself. Right? It is the grace of God... It is the grace of God 
that allows me not to go to hell, but to go to heaven. You know, one of the beautiful things that you have in this passage is what I would call unprompted grace. Last week, we are looking at the centurion. Centurion is so concerned about his servant that he sends two groups of people. First, he sends the elders of the Jews. And the Bible says that they begged Jesus earnestly on behalf of the centurion that he would heal the servant. Right? They didn't use his word. They didn't use the centurion's words. They just kind of used their own. Then he sent a second group. He sent his friends. And they used the exact words of the centurion to ask Jesus to heal the servant. In our passage today, nobody's asked him. Nobody, nobody has prayed. Nobody, nobody has genuinely expressed faith at this point. Nobody has said, Jesus, I believe that you're the greatest. You can, you can do anything, even this dead, you can, you can raise him up if you want to. Nobody says that. This is Jesus on his own, I would say on his own under the direction of the Father, right? But on his own, just being gracious to somebody who's hurting. Jesus doesn't need a big reason to be good to you. He's good to you because He's good. He's gracious to you because He's gracious. He is merciful to you because He is merciful. And He shows it to this woman. So here's the second thing I want you to see about faith. Faith not only recognizes God's passion, but faith relies upon God's power. Faith relies upon God's power. Humanly speaking, there is nothing that anybody in that crowd can do. I mean, except give him a, give him a good honorable burial and, you know, put him in the ground. That's the, that's, that's the best thing they can do for him. Weep over him, try to console his mother, maybe try to take care of her as everybody else's life tries to get back to normal. But as for this guy, and he's gone, right? Faith relies upon the power of God, not on your own strength, not on your creativity or your ingenuity, not on your resources, not the fact that maybe you have more money than somebody else has, maybe not that you have newer stuff than somebody else has, maybe not that you're, you, you know, not even that you're privy to the uh, latest in technology, but the power of God. I think God likes to work in such a way that nobody gets or even can get credit other than him. I, like, I think he likes to work in such a way that there's no explanation other than the handiwork of God. And this is one of those chances, isn't it? Join us tomorrow as Pastor Tim shares the conclusion to the message from Luke chapter 7, verses 11 through 16. Faith in the face of the impossible. Pastor Tim would love to connect and share with you about a personal relationship with Jesus Christ and how you can know that you know that Jesus is your Savior and Lord. That address is churchoffice at brittdavid.org. We are located at 2801 West Britt David Road, Columbus, Georgia, 31909. Thanks again for joining us here on Britt David Podcast.